Morning, everyone. This talk is part of a series we are calling Why Jesus? And in this series, we're hearing from different people in the church all about why they love Jesus, why Jesus matters to them. People will be sharing about the difference Jesus has made in their lives and some about how they came to faith and others about their relationships with Jesus. Today, I'm going to be talking for a few minutes about why I love Jesus and why I have the hope that I do. So I'm Alex. Um, I work here at Southwest London Vineyard. I'm married to Ruth. I lead the youth here and a number of things that the community centre that Ella mentioned, which is just round the corner that we call the yard. And if anyone does want to get involved in any of the things we do there, do give me a shout or Ella or Manny, um, and we'll, we can talk to you about what we do there. It's, uh, it's a place I love, and there's just so many so much life there. So do, do come and have a chat if it's something you're interested in. Right. Um, yesterday, my youngest son, Josh, went to a birthday party. And uh, I wasn't there, but I could see it was pouring with rain. There was, it was a big inflatable party at... Oh, well, there was all sorts of inflatables in a park, and they were jumping all about and slipping and sliding all over these things. And I heard that one of, the, one of Josh's friends said that it's the coldest he's ever been, and it's the funnest thing he's ever done. And I just love that. You've got the coldest and the funnest, these two kind of opposite things working together. And um, yeah, that's just my kind of weird brain working into an intro into this talk, because I'm going to talk about two opposite things that I love uh, about God. So there are two claims in the Bible that seem so opposite, so polar, that for me, they're foundational in my faith. One comes from um, Revelation 22, and the other one from Luke's Gospel. And if they're both true, then we worship a mysterious, awesome, by that I may do mean awe-inspiring, loving, and personal God. The first one, Revelation 22:13, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And the second comes from Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, verse 7. We're told that God cares so much about us that he knows every hair on our head. It says, when five sparrows are sold, they only cost two pennies. But God does not forget any of them. Yes, God even knows how many hairs you have on your head. Don't be afraid. You are worth much more than many sparrows. Now, there's a lot about sparrows in there. Um, and... What that's saying is that God loves and values sparrows, so how much more does he value us? But the bit that really stands out to me is the bit in yellow. Yes, God even knows how many hairs we have on our heads. And that tells me so much about God. It tells me that he cares for us. It tells me that he knows us better than we know ourselves. I would be willing to bet that no one in this room knows how many hairs they've got on their head. And the same is true for whether I know that about my mum and dad, my children, my wife, my friends, but God does. And I, I just think that's amazing, that we've got this God who knows us that intimately, knows us that well, and created the entire universe. He's that powerful. If you think about prime ministers, presidents, kings, queens, they might have huge amounts of power in their countries. 
but I guarantee they don't know every person in that country. But God knows every person on this earth and created it and the whole universe. Now, let me ask you a question. What image comes to mind when I say the word Jesus? Can I have the first slide? Thank you. I wonder if it's one of these. Put your hand up if it was an image a little bit like this. Quite a few, about half the room. I couldn't find a good one of the uh, washing the feet, so it was only a cartoon one I could find. So, uh, yeah, this is, I think, these two. So for those listening on the podcast, there's two pictures. One of Jesus on the cross and one of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And I think for a lot of people, including myself, when I think of Jesus, these are the sorts of images I think of. A servant, not someone who is to be served. Someone who gave his life for us. And they are deeply biblical images. In John 13, 3 to 5, we're told, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And the other picture of Jesus on the cross, most of us will know, many of us will know the biblical background to that. In John 3:16, we're told that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He gave his only son, dying on a cross, that we might have life. Now, can I have the next slide, please? Now, put your hand up if you thought of either of these when I said Jesus. One at the back, any rise on that? Two? Two people, okay. If you're a C.S. Lewis fan, you might have thought of the first one, The Lion. For anyone who hasn't who's read that, who maybe hasn't, um, those books have a lion called Aslan who is meant to depict Jesus. He, spoiler alert, dies and then is resurrected. It's uh, a picture of Jesus, but it's also deeply, deeply biblical, both the lion and the lamb. In Revelation 5.5, 5, it says, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed. That's talking about Jesus, triumphing, tri triumphant winning the battles for his people on their behalf, dying for us, defeating death. And the other in John 1.29, John the Baptist is busy baptizing people in the Jordan and he sees Jesus coming along and he says, look, the Lamb of God, he takes away the sin of the world. Back then, lambs were used to sacrifice, to atone for sin, to, forget, forgive, to, get, to get forgiveness of sin. If you'd sinned, if you'd done something terrible, you would sacrifice something. Often that was a lamb. You might do it once a year anyway. But that was the symbolism of a, of a lamb. And so Jesus is the ultimate lamb. He's the ultimate sacrifice, atoning for all our sin. Okay, and the next slide. Right, who got a picture like this in their mind when I said Jesus? That's a straight zero. Okay, nobody. Right, so for those listening online uh, or on the podcast, I've got a picture of a, a warrior-type figure with a sword coming out of their mouth, surrounded by lampstands, and another one of a celestial being with planets and stars in their hands. And both of these are actually also 
biblical depictions of Jesus. In Revelation 1, 12, 18, the Apostle John says, I turned around to see who was speaking to me. When I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. In the middle of them was someone who looked like the Son of Man, which is a reference to Jesus. He was dressed in a long robe with a gold strip of cloth around his chest. The hair on his head was white as wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like a blazing fire. His feet were like bronze metal glowing in a furnace. His voice sounded like rushing waters. He held seven stars in his right hand. Coming out of his mouth was a sharp sword with two edges. His face was like a shining sun in all its brightness. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. Then, I put he, then he put his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. And then in John 1, 1 to 3, right at the beginning of John's gospel, it says, in the beginning was the word, which is another name for Jesus, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning, through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. You know, Jesus was there at the beginning of time, creating the entire universe. And it's a gigantic universe. I looked into this. There are between 100 and 200 billion galaxies out there, each containing billions of stars. There's more stars than there are grains of sand in the Earth. And that, that just blows my mind. I can't really grasp how big that is. I just know it's enormous. But God sits outside of that. He created that. This compassionate, life-giving, personal relationship God created the entire universe. But the thing is, for me, I, when I first read this, when I first sort of started uh, walking with Jesus, looking into faith, I, I couldn't quite believe these claims that God created the universe. I've got a bit of a science-y background. Um, I did physics and stuff for A-level. So I decided to look into the science, and to my amazement, the science, a lot of it, points towards a creator, a designer. So, um, warning, there's about three minutes of, uh, of science coming up, so I'm gonna drop some science, right? So, those of you who might remember GCSE science, might remember Newton's first law of science about motion, motion can't come from nowhere, it's a transfer. So if I kick this stand over, that's because I've kicked it. My leg has moved, that moves. Motion comes from somewhere. There's laws of energy that say a similar thing. Energy can't just be created. If you drive your car, the energy comes from petrol, diesel, a battery, somewhere. Those wheels don't just turn. The energy is transferred. And the same is true of matter, of, of these chairs, this building, zebras, tortoises, oceans. All of that is just transfer of atoms and molecules and electrons and quarks and all sorts from one thing to another. It doesn't just come into existence. So given all that, where does it all come from? Where does the matter, the energy, the movement come from? And some might say the Big Bang, and maybe. But where did all the energy come from in the Big Bang, the movement, the particles within it? Something sits outside of that to start it. And I love those, but my favorite, um, proof of God is what some call the, um, the theory of design or the proof of design. 
And I like to think of this one as a bit like a room full of 15 massive roulette, roulette wheels, each one of them representing a force without which, or if it's not perfectly tuned, the whole universe would implode and we would just cease to exist immediately. So you've got forces like gravity, you've got forces like the electromagnetic force and the universal constant and 15 of these things. And imagine massive, huge roulette wheels, each with 10 million numbers on. Spin the first one, gravity, and it lands on that little green number. And you might think, well, that's lucky. A bit like winning the lottery, someone's got to win. And then you spin the second one, electromagnetism, and that lands on the green one too. And you think, is that luck? Or has someone rigged this? And then you spin the third one, universal constant, 10 million numbers. Again, the green one, again and again and again, all the way through 15 roulette wheels, and all of them land on green. Statistically, that's almost impossible. Someone looks like someone rigged that, but that's how perfectly designed the universe is. And actually, it's the one um, proof or theory that two pretty big atheists say is the one that they find most difficult to deny. So Stephen Hawking and Richard Dawkins both point to that one and say that one, that's the closest I can get to believing there could be a God. So um, it's a bit like having a garden. If you imagine a beautifully manicured garden with all the roses over there and the daisies and the hydrangeas, and I'm running out of flowers to name, perfectly <laughs> manicured, the, uh, the grass perfectly cut, you're going to go, well, there's a gardener. You're unlikely to think that just grew perfectly. And the same is true of the universe. You could say, yeah, it's all by chance, but really, it looks like there's a designer. Isn't that amazing? That we have this God who created, who designed the universe, who sits beyond space and time and made it work perfectly together. And on top of that, how amazing is it that this creator, designer, God, loves us so much that he knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows every single hair on our heads. Not only that, he creates the spark of life in our mother's wombs. That's another one, by the way. No one's created life from nothing. You can get bacteria and things, but you can't create it from nothing. He creates life. He gives us good things to do. He plans those out for us. He even calls us friends. Psalm 139 says, you shaped me first inside, then out. This is the message translation, by the way, if you don't recognize the words. You shaped me first inside, then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. I thank you, God. You are breathtaking. Body and soul, I am marvelously made. In Ephesians 2.10, we're told that we are God's handiwork, created, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And then in John 15.13, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life, for their friends. This creator God, bigger, more magnificent, more terrifying, more awesome, more beautiful than we can possibly fathom. 
knows and loves each of us individually. So much so that he calls us friends and died for us so that we might have life now and in eternity and life to the full. And the thing is, we can have all of this in our heads, but God goes further. He takes it to our hearts. He allows us to experience his love. And I haven't got loads of time today to kind of take you through lots of examples. I'm just going to take you quickly through two that I've got. One, when I again was sort of first starting out, I was beginning an Alpha course. I was looking into who this guy Jesus really is. Um, and I was sat on a train. I'd been revising for an exam late into the night. And I, had, I was on the train to the exam. And I was absolutely exhausted. And I knew that I had to read one more chapter of this tax textbook. Very dull. Um, because I was pretty sure this question was going to come up. And I just thought, and I, I said this little tiny prayer. I didn't even call it a prayer particularly in my head. And I said, God, if you're there, please just help me read this. And honestly, it was like I'd had 10 Red Bulls in that moment. It was just like, boop. And I thought, no one in the train saw anything. But I knew something amazing had happened in that moment. And I could only put it down to God because I couldn't conjure that up. He knew exactly what I needed in that moment. And I didn't even know him. And the other example was back when uh, we lived in Australia. There was, uh, we had a prayer room, a 12-hour prayer room, and you booked your hour slot. And I, I was lucky enough to have the final slot. And there'd been prayer and worship in this room all day long. And I walked in, and I just could feel God's presence thick in this room. And I, I remember um, there was a, some speakers. I plugged in my phone and put some worship music on. And it's a song uh, by, God, by a guy called Josh Baldwin. Um, that I put on, be lifted up. And I just wept, and I couldn't explain it. It was just God's presence, and he met me right there where I was and just spoke to my heart, really, and, and I was overwhelmed. And that's the thing, when God takes the head knowledge to the heart, we can't help but run towards him as he's running towards us. Now, I could go on for ages about this, but I have actually found a video, a song, a worship song that I love, that really describes this, uh, this, these two polar things, takes you from the enormity of God right down to the personal. And a church called Hope Church produced a beautiful video that goes with it. So we're going to just watch that for about five minutes, then I will uh, take us into the Lord's Supper. Oh, for those who are listening on the podcast, uh, look up 100 Billion by Hillsong United, and there's a, you'll see on YouTube one with a kind of picture of a universe. That beautiful just gets me every time um, that song and that video the way it takes you from God the creator right down to the one who died for us and knows us loves 8 billion different people every one of them a child of God who gave our life for, his life for us Right, the Lord's Supper. Let's go into that. <laughs> 